God bless you. Could we bow our heads for a moment of prayer? Thank you, dear Lord, for your blessings upon us, for this wonderful day that you've given. Thank you for life, for health, and for all the wonderful miracles that you're bringing to pass. Now bless us, dear Lord, as we shall study your word together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Thank God. Amen. Please turn to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12. And the word of God says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest my name, and hath not denied my faith. And in those days, wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against you, because thou hast them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. On this Palm Sunday, we're taking a little different approach to our celebration of Jesus' triumphant entry. We as a church and a body of believers have not been able to gather for over a year now. We have missed you tremendously, and the time of our gathering safely is approaching, and I'm so excited about it. The Word of God I've been reading and sharing with you this year has been on the seven churches written about in Revelation. We're the church today. We take guidance and instruction from these seven churches on how to correct our behavior and actions toward God and love Him with all of our whole heart, soul, and strength. The last time we were together, we studied the church at Ephesus, the church going through the motions, a church that had left its first love. And there are, as we shall see, many similarities between the church at Pergamos and Ephesus. Number one, there were wicked persons in both churches who advocated a half-hearted commitment. Just show up, go through the motions, just as God was calling for the church at Ephesus to love him with their whole heart, he's now calling for the church of Pergamos to repent. Both the church at Ephesus and Pergamos had good qualities, but there was more that was required of them. And Jesus said to the whole church at Pergamos, repent or else. And I believe that the whole church at Pergamos was told to repent because 
Number one, the propagators of the false beliefs and sinful behavior were not so easily identified in Pergamos as they were in Ephesus. And they were told also because there were probably more wicked persons in Pergamos than in Ephesus. Possibly more of the leaders in Pergamos were involved than in Ephesus. And also a Pergamos had at least two different heretical groups within the church, where Ephesus had only one. And it would seem that Pergamos had actually descended to a level lower than Ephesus. Once you began to tolerate and associate with wicked people, you place yourself in a predicament where you will soon be affected by them. Your zeal for the truth will minimize and decrease your enthusiasm for worship and prayer. Your attraction to unrighteous people will intensify and ultimately you yourself will be unrighteous in thought and behavior. So Jesus introduces himself to the church in Pergamos as he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. And he says, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And in Revelation 2.16, he called it the sword of his mouth. And the sword went out of his mouth implies that the sword represents the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. A two-edged sword cuts going and coming. And if you're on the right side, it has an edge on the right. If you're on the left side, it has an edge over there. Don't get happy if it cuts the folk over there. It's coming back and it has an edge on your side too. God's word smites the wicked and searches the good. It cuts to wound and it cuts to heal. And we shall see the church of Pergamos was infested with men of corrupt minds who did what they could to corrupt the faith and the manner of the church. But Jesus informs them that he had a sharp sword both to find them and to deal with them. For those who were faithful to him, he had a sword to defend them. Christ said to this church in verse 13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest and where even where Satan's seat is. He said to them, in other words, you're wicked, difficult, and these are trying circumstances. The city of Pergamos was so wicked that it was called the seat of Satan. It is said to have excelled all other cities in wickedness. One historian, Andrews, said that there was more idol gods in Pergamos than in all of Asia. Pergamos was a seat of emperor worship. A refusal to worship the emperor 
would often mean death. Pergamos also had a temple built to the god Jupiter, and that was also a, temper, a temple to the god Aesculapus and the serpent god. The wickedness of the city, the idolatry, the aggressiveness of those who persecuted the saints and those who worshiped the snake god continued to merit the designation for the city as the seat of Satan, or the place where Satan dwells. One version has it, Satan's throne, and so the place where Satan rules. And listen, Jesus understood the circumstances under which the saints lived. He knew the many trials and difficulties which they faced. Christ has not promised the believer ideal living circumstances. If you have them, praise God. If you don't, don't feel that you're being shortchanged. If you live for God, you will have tribulations and persecutions. There's a strange mentality among believers today for that living for Christ should not require inconvenience or trouble, that there is no work or strain involved in living for Christ, no accountability, no responsibility, no moral accountability. And they say that Jesus died that I might be forgiven. So if I'm going to be forgiven, I can sin. No. They say there's no obligation to really serve God because salvation is by grace through faith. Yes, but it's also you labor and you must work to receive the reward. There's no toleration of negative circumstances in the part of so many lives and so many minds. They say his yoke is easy, but it also says the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. And so Jesus knew the kind of situation in which they were serving him. And he does not tell them to leave that situation. Satan will have you running for all your life, running from job to job, running from city to city, running from church to church, running from husband or wife to husband or wife. But you better know what you're doing when you get married, because under God and according to the word of God, marriage is for life. Trouble in a marriage does not mean that you can pack up and head out. If any city needed a saint, it is the city of Pergamos. And now, if anybody needs a saint, it is the city of Los Angeles. And so Christ understood what they were going through at Satan's seat. In Hebrews 4:15, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. Hebrews 2 and 18 says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure those who are tempted. The difficult circumstances did not cause Christ to excuse them from responsibility. Some people suppose that that, that, that is the case today, that difficult circumstances excuse them from responsibilities, so their priorities are wrong. But listen, Christ commends them for the good 
in Revelation 2.13, it says that you hold fast my name. You're not ashamed of your relationship with me. You're not a Christian today and a worshiper of Aesculapius on tomorrow. You continue to trust in my name and to rely on me. And he also said, you have not denied my faith. And even in those days when Antipas was a faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelt. Verse 13, even execution would not stop them. When Antipas, one of the early believers, was killed for the faith, the saints kept on serving God. They kept on worshiping God. How much do you really love God? Christ rebukes them for the bad. It seems as though the church did not officially accept false teachings and false doctrines. They tolerated many persons in the church who did accept false teaching and false doctrines. There were two forms of false doctrines introduced into the church. Number one, the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Balaam was a prophet who knew the truth. But Balaam did two things. Number one, he loved money so much that he fellowshiped with the wicked men who gave him money. And he counseled wicked nations that the best way to destroy God's people was not just to encourage them to worship false gods. They would not do that. But rather, Balaam suggested appeal to their flesh by their lust of sending the most beautiful women among them. And they let the women lead them into immorality and then into idolatry. And when this happens, God will be separated from them and will punish them. And so the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was taught by a man named Nicolaitius. And his teachings were spread into many churches. Both Thyatira and Pergamos were infiltrated by this doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And an attempt was made to introduce this doctrine into the Ephesian church, where it was rejected. They thought that pleasure was the chief purpose of the Christian life. Joy, they said, is the nature of God, and joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, Christians were supposed to have joy, and they taught and practiced impure, immoral doctrines, such as community of wives, not just one, but a group of them. And they taught that committing adultery and fornication was not sinful. That eating of the meat offered in the temple of idolatry was lawful. And so the Nicolaitan heresy of false teaching appealed to their curiosity. It promised new knowledge. It appealed to their love for freedom. And it appealed to their love for pleasure. Both the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans were similar. The mindset seems to be that the, Balaam, that the Balaamites said, we know it's wrong, but we're going to do it anyhow. And the Nicolaitans said, it's not wrong, and so we can do it. And so these two groups are still around the church today. The first group says, we know it's wrong, but if you go to church, it's all right. If you try to do something good too, it's all right. Everybody else is doing wrong too. And so it's all right for 
for you to do wrong. But you can straighten it out later on, fix it later. They say it's impossible to live holy, that you must sin. Just be discreet and sophisticated when you sin. It's all right to sin, you're weak. But the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Don't let anybody tell you it's all right to sin because God will forgive you. Because the Bible says in Romans 6 and 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. The first group says it's wrong, but go ahead anyway. The second group says it's not wrong. You would not have the desires if it was wrong to have them and wrong to satisfy them. They tell you God made you and whatever you want to do is of God. When you got saved, these desires don't just go away. If you are a man and want a man, it's all right. If you have a sexual desire and you're not married, it's all right. If you're married and want someone else, it's all right. But what they don't say is that man is deprived and fallen from grace and every imagination of his heart is wicked and desire must not guide you. You must let God control and guide you into his will. The saints in Pergamos were shouting, but they were not crying out against wrong. And the condition was affecting the church. And Jesus said in verse 16 of the text, repent or else I'll come and fight against you with my sharp sword. I can fight for you. I can fight against you. And in my conclusion, to him that overcometh, God does not want to fight you. He wants you to overcome. He wants you to go into battle and trust him to give you victory. He wants to fight all of your battles. Conditions are negative and the pressure is great, but our God is greater. He's greater than anything we can face. And the wonderful message is that we do not have to face it by ourselves. God will take care of us. Be not dismayed, whatever betide. God will take care of you. And so the message today is you can make it. Jesus Christ being all that he is and being able to do all that he can do, he will take you through. He will give you overcoming power, power to walk in victory and to walk in righteousness. Whatever you have to give up, give it up to live for God because he has one moment in his kingdom will pay for all that we endure and all that we go through. God bless you and I love you with the love of the Lord. We celebrate Christ this Palm Sunday because he is the righteous one because he is the holy one. And if he is holy, we can live holy. The word of God tells us that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. We don't have to give in to the temptations of the world, but we can live holy because he is holy. If you've done wrong, repent, turn from their wickedness, and God promised that he would heal our land. Let God shape you, make you, and mold you 
into who he has called you to be. He is the potter, we are the clay. The Holy Ghost is here right now and he deserves to work in and through your life. Repent, let God have his way. Everybody bow your heads with me. Say these words after me, dear Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I have been. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for us. And I believe